Today on Locked on Predators, the Predators say farewell to the 2022 season. They had their locker room clean out yesterday and gave a lot of interesting sound bites. We're talking Philip Forsberg on his contract status, UC Saros on his playing time down the stretch, Matt Duchesne on John Hines' future and what he's done as a head coach. A lot of interesting tidbits to get into. We are going all in today on the Locked on Predators podcast. Locked On Predators, your daily podcast on the Nashville Predators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Predators your first listen of the day. I'm Nick Morgan. I'm a writer and editor at OnTheForeCheck.com, and I have a partner in crime. You do. I am Ann Kimmel. I'm a writer at onthefourcheck.com. The May of let's just see what we can talk about with this Nashville Predators team without wanting to go into a emotional tirade continues, Ann. Yeah, it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So lots of interesting stuff to talk about uh, over the next couple of days. As we told you yesterday, there's a lot of angles, a lot of different things. We're not going to be able to get into it in depth every single episode, uh, but there is plenty to talk about about this team's future over the next several weeks. Uh, and that begins today with the annual Preds locker room cleanout. Uh, this is basically probably the one time of year, I would say, and where the players are most candid. Mm -hmm. um, this is, of course, you know, the, the players are, are taking all their things from the season out of their locker, cleaning it out home. Uh, and it's their last chance to kind of get in front of the cameras and give honest takes about what their thoughts were on the season. Uh, really dive into something you don't want to talk about mid-season because you don't want distractions or any of that so this is kind of the most raw most candid kind of stuff you see from teams regardless of the sport yeah and i really love what we got from the predators who spoke with media yesterday because i do feel like they were very candid about some things and they were asked about issues and challenges throughout the season that people have been wondering about and i feel like they did a really good job of kind of you know, just laying some things out there. There are some really big topics facing the Nashville Predators going forward. And there are some really big topics looking back at, you know, especially the end of the season and the postseason. And they were willing to address some hard things. So it was a good opportunity to sort of see how this team has functioned and where these players are at as they wrap up yet another season of weird expectation, excitement, disappointment, all of that that was this season. So let's dive in right away. And of course, one of the big topics throughout the entire season and what's sure to be the best biggest topic going into the summer is Philip Forsberg. You know, we yes. know his contract status has been kind of up for talk really since last summer uh, when the Predators were officially able to start talking and, and assign him to an extension. Uh, we had this kind of come up again when the trade deadline come and went. Obviously, Forsberg wasn't moved. Uh, you know, the, the reports we get 
are very conflicting. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there's, you know, it seems like the reports are kind of not optimistic. Uh, a few weeks later, they say, you know, there's, it's just a matter of money that, you know, they have most of it squared away. They're really just not far off on a figure. Um, so we don't know what to make of it. And of course, after game four, when everybody, you know, did their, you know, final salute to the fans, of course, it was Forsberg who had sort mm-hmm. of the longest lap, you know, the, the, we talked about this yesterday, we kind of equated it almost to that same vibe of Rene when he just kind of did the full lap, waited a while, soaked it all in. Um, So that has been the big topic. And of course, Philip Forsberg was asked about that. Yeah, no, I love, I mean, obviously you, I've been fortunate enough to be, be on this team for, for a long time now and made the playoffs every year. But at the same time, Every player plays to win the Stanley Cup, and so do I. That's my biggest goal, and and I do believe that we have a team that can make that in the future. And like you said, that's I think that's the direction that a team has to be heading, and I think we are. I understand, Philip, that negotiation has to happen, but all things being equal, do you want to be back here? Yeah, I mean that's that's like you said. I I've said that since since day one. The the goal is to come back here, um, and the business side is is completely different than the on ice side, as as you guys are aware of, and. Just kind of have to to wait and see and play it out. There's been been obviously some some progression throughout the season from where we started in in September and uh, yeah. I mean we're obviously me and my agent and, and David and Brian and the management are going to be on, yeah an ongoing conversation in the process and yeah we'll just have to see where we end. Thoughts on that, Anne? You know I try not to get my hopes up, but listening to Philip Forsberg talk. It feels slightly more hopeful than it did watching him take that last lap in game four. Having said that, you know, what Philip Forsberg wants for his on ice experience, whether, you know, he's very open about, you know, the goal is to stay with the Nashville Predators. Is he going to stick around if the business side doesn't match up? And I think it all comes down to, you know, he said, my goal is to win a Stanley Cup. Does Philip Forsberg really think that that's something that is within his reach in his career here in Nashville? And, you know, he indicates that he likes the direction that this team is going in. (laughs) But, But, you know, I mean... I don't, I don't, you know, part of me listens to that and feels a little bit more hopeful, but part of me, you know, just being pragmatic, if he wants a Stanley cup in his career is Nashville where he's going to end up, you know, that I think that's a really big question to wrestle with. I can't figure out whose ball is in which court. Mm, Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. and I go back and forth on this. It, it clearly sounds like Philip Forsberg, his preferred destination is Nashville. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually heard Matt Duchesne kind of talk about it yesterday, too, because people asked him um, about Forsberg's status. And of course, Duchesne was a free agent who came to Nashville a couple years ago. And they kind of asked him and Duchesne was like, look, you know, you, you kind of got to just measure. And it's like. You know, where where do you feel most comfortable? 
like where do you feel like you're going to be able to kind of you know obviously the play is one thing the team is another thing the contracts another thing but it's just you know you got to kind of find some place where you want to be and i get the sense that forsberg does want to be in nashville you know he's got he's got good roots here um you know his fiance is, is you know a pretty well known online presence kind of in Atlanta and Nashville and that area. Um, You get the sense that he really does want to be here. So from that end, it's like, okay, well, is the ball in David Poyle's court or whoever is going to be the GM? And yet we're going to talk about that later this week. Um, Is the ball in their court? And it's just like, okay, we'll do what you can do to bring him back. Right. Um, but then I think it's, well, you know what? Is it really going to be a Philip Forsberg decision? And it, it's weird because it, it feels like both team, like both entities, like both the Preds and both Philip Forsberg are trying to sell each other. They know what they want, but they're trying to sell each other, you know, on kind of the same idea, you know, for the Preds, it's up to them to convince Philip Forsberg that the Predators are going to be a cup contender. Can they really do that? Well, that's can they make a convincing argument at this point? And that ties into, I think, really some of the, you know, the GM argument about the direction of this team. You know, we keep hearing repetitive, you know, over and over again. It's like this is going to be a competitive rebuild. This is but we're, you know, we're going to try to win now, but we're also keeping an eye on the future. Um, But David Poyle hasn't really gone all in on this team. Like, you know, he says this right. is his team. We have a good feeling about this team, but he's been hesitant to go out and make moves to help the team win right now. And that's something I think Philip Forsberg might recognize. I mean, you heard him right off the top of the bat. He's like, obviously, you know, you want to go someplace where you win the cup. And yeah, the Preds right. do better this year. But I think, honestly, if I'm Philip Forsberg, if I'm in his shoes, I haven't seen that you know kind of level of buy-in right now from david poyle mm-hmm. yeah and, you know there's been a lot of chances go ahead well i was just gonna say you you also look at the flip side of it and this is not a conversation that i think i would have had earlier in the season but now looking at where the nashville predators are at if they are going to go ahead and just tear it down, do a full-on rebuild, are the Predators going to be willing to offer Forsberg money to stay here for a rebuild? Or are they going to say, hey, you know what? He's going to go. We're going to let him go. We're going to let him walk and, and invest in a rebuild. And all of a sudden, it doesn't necessarily feel like at the end of this season, at the end of this postseason, with all of the questions surrounding where this franchise is headed, it doesn't feel like it is just Philip Forsberg saying, I want this much money or I'm walking. All of a sudden, it feels like maybe David Poyle has you know, a sad case of a little more leverage of, well, does this franchise want to strap themselves to another big contract if really in the end we're going to tear it down and do a full rebuild? So all of a sudden, this is much more murky water 
and what seemed like a very clear, we both want this, I have to wonder if the direction this team is going is going to mean that they're going to want to sign Forsberg. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it. I get the sense that David Poyle wants Philip Forsberg back. Everybody I, I does. Really do. <laughs> um, but there's going to be some very, very hard decisions yes. that come up. And we talk about a rebuild. And it's like, okay, well, what else What else can you do to this roster? Uh, because you're not. I've, you're obviously not trading Roman Yossi, even though he's mm-hmm. going to be the one that will f- accelerate the rebuild like that. You just signed Matthias Ekholm to a brand new contract that doesn't kick in yet until this coming season. Mikhail Granlin's locked up for three more years. Ryan Johansson has kind of an immovable contract at this point. Right. Um, you know, Matt Duchesne would be the only other option. And it's just, you know, well, what would what, what do you do? Like right. and that's such a thing. So it's almost as like, you know is does the Forsberg thing force David Poyle's hand because it's, it's almost as like, it's almost as like he can't rebuild because he really can't move any of the pieces. So you right. might as well go all in. Now there's going to be, you know, counterpoints to that. And, but that that's kind of in a position, like at least one side of the argument I can see where you know, you almost have to go for it at this point. And if you do that, you might as well bring Philip Forsberg back. It's just going to be interesting to see what the market is going to be for him if he goes. Very true. Very true. And again, you know, if the Predators commit to doing a rebuild, you've got to start with a small core. But like you just said, you have a core that in some ways is already locked in. Does Philip, yeah. you know, is Philip Forsberg because of the situation with his contract being up now, is he the the piece that moves easiest? Not an easy thing to wrestle with. I think it's true. Everybody in Nashville wants to see Forsberg back. The business side of this is going to be very interesting to see how it unfolds. And if you let him go at this point, then, you know, you kind of just set your rebuild back because you had a chance yeah. to maybe move him at the deadline or earlier in the season for what would have been a couple of significant pieces. For or sure. At least, or at least pieces to kind of plug in over the next few years in terms of maybe young up and coming players or something like that. Um, so that's, it's going to be a very, mm. uh, you know, if, if he leaves for nothing, that that'll hurt like that'll that, certainly hurt and i think at yeah. that point you know we we talked about you know forsberg comes back the core is kind of locked in so you might as well go for it on the other side if forsberg leaves you know you have to do what you can to cut your losses here yeah yeah so. you do and i think if forsberg leaves that's that is the nail in a number of coffins of a number of things that may end here in nashville yeah, a lot more to talk about. And speaking of things that may end, of course, John Hines's future has been discussed. Uh, we heard from Matt Duchesne on that. We'll get to that bite in a second. Plus, UC Saros uh, talking about his injury, all of that coming up. But first, want to mention today's show brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models on the road, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating line of questioning like, do you know if your Odyssey is an LX or an EX? All that dumb stuff. 
you can skip all that, skip the hassle, and just log on to your computer or phone and go to rockauto.com. Rock Auto saves you time and money. Uh, yeah, it saves you time and money. I didn't know where I was going with that. Uh, but yeah, you can save 30, 50, or even 100% more for similar parts from a chain store or car dealership. For example, a fuel pump for a Honda Odyssey. I can't talk today. It's been a long time dumb season a honda odyssey fuel pump is 353 dollars from a chain store but it's only 216 on rockauto.com this isn't just some sketchy website either rock auto is a family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years and their prices are low for every single customer they got everything you could need like brake parts tail lamps motor oil even new carpet and upholstery. It's got everything you need to do. So go to rockauto.com and see all their parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Yeah, and the next uh, the next big topic, one of them is, is John Hines. Yes. He was a guy uh, who was under the microscope rightfully towards the end of the year. Um, again, big credit to him for even getting the Preds to this point. Yes. Uh, a phenomenal season in that regard. But down the stretch, a little bit of a red flag there from some of the decisions and some of the on-ice performance – does link back to him. It does. And he came in in a very difficult situation. I feel like John Hines has had a really challenging start to his relationship with this franchise and his coaching with this team and the roster that he's had. And I feel like he has made a ton of progress. This is the season where we've seen the things that he's invested in finally paying off. But as you get down the stretch, like you said, it, there began to be some questions. And one of the things that I respect the most about John Hines is he's very much a straight shooter. He's very honest about expectations and he's very honest about sort of consequences or decision-making process that he has to go through as a coach. But it started to get a little bit of a gray area. And, you know, when you talk about things like Ellie Tolvanen and Luke Cunning and Phil Tomasino and sort of developing players and also roster or game time playing time with players who are struggling what do you do how do you help those players and it sort of ate away I think at the Nashville Predators fan base and then the penalty situation and the identity and that balancing act that sort of felt like the teeter-totter really went over one way at the end of the season and in the postseason and I think that you know, there are some questions for John Hines about managing things like player development, player playing time and sort of discipline situations. So this is, you know, Hines, I think he's been fantastic, really like him, but I understand why people are asking some questions. So let's hear from uh, Matt Duchesne on this because somebody asked him about the Hines job that Hines did this season. Uh, let's hear it. Um, we had um, one. We had a really good one at the start of the year, and they were, they were always really, um, they're always really positive and 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 um, 
very, um, there was, <clears throat> it was never confrontational, never awkward, never any of that. It was just trying to figure out what we needed from each other. And I think, um, you know, for me coming in, I, it was, you know, kind of a wild ride right off the bat. We had a coaching change, you know, mid-season my first year. COVID hits, go to the bubble. You know, last year's a shortened season. I'm hurt for seven and a half weeks. There's a lot of stuff that went on, and I think um, it just took a while to kind of figure, probably for him to figure out, um, you know, the best way, to, I, I think, you know, to coach me as an individual. And, and, I mean, it was several guys. I think he was just learning us as individuals, and, and uh, we were learning him as, as a coach, and, and I think it definitely clicked this year, and it was great all year. I mean, we we have an awesome – We always we ha, I've always had a great relationship, but I think uh, this year it was like – I think we just, you know, trusted each other a lot more and, and just weren't, you know, not weren't um, kind of wondering where each other stood this year. So it was good that way. So obviously that was Matt Duchesne talking about the relationship between he and John Hines, um, because we, we know we've heard that a lot this season about, you know, Hines's expectations for Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne kind of credited John Hines with him turning his season around. Um, and his career in Nashville around a little bit because we know that didn't get off to a great start. And no. for that end, I think John Hines does deserve a lot of credit. He brought out, um, you know, sort of this extra gear in guys like Matt Duchesne, mm-hmm. Ryan Johansson, who I don't think we're talking about enough, uh, his bounce back year, just because it's kind of been overshadowed by a couple of players who had better years. Um, you know, even somebody like Mikhail Granlund, you saw yes. his game completely change. Really the moment John Hines came in all the way back in 2020, uh, you know, the, the month or so before COVID shut everything down, we had talked about how well Mikhail Granlund improved under John Hines. And, you know, this year you kind of saw saw him as a two-way playmaker kind of guy. So John Hines does get a lot of credit for that and deservedly so. He does. And I think you have to look big picture. It is very frustrating kind of how the season wound down and how the postseason went. And there are things, like we said, that kind of need to push in a little bit on with John Hines. But in all of the exit interviews and all of the locker cleanout interviews from yesterday, Hines is universally praised by the players. Now, they're not going to come out, you know, for as honest as this time is, they're not going to come out and be like, he's an ass. You know, you know you're not going to get that. But this really wasn't coach speak. I think he got this entire team to buy into something. And that's not something that the Nashville Predators have probably had since that Stanley Cup run or the President's Trophy year. You know, so Heinz has done a fantastic job. He's been able to pull great seasons out and help these players kind of develop and gel this team. It's some of the details down the road that I think are going to be interesting. And I honestly feel like Heinz's future in Nashville will hinge so much more on what happens with David Poyle than on any sort of indictment about Heinz's performance or his shortcomings. Because you really have to say universally Heinz has come in and made this franchise better. He came into an absolute hot mess, steaming dumpster fire of a locker room and has been able to, through COVID, through shortened seasons, been able to get this team to buy into something and get some individual players' performances kind of on fire and set. But again, I I wonder if the end of the season – 
is going to be a conversation that's a little bit more difficult when they sit down with Heinz to talk about his future with the franchise. It does seem like him and David Poyle are kind of intertwined, and we yeah. are going to talk more about that tomorrow. We mentioned there is uh, a lot we have to get to. Yeah, tomorrow we are diving into the David Poyle, John Hines situation. Oh, so be sure it's going to so be sure you're tuning into that for sure. Yeah, it's going to be big. Uh, of course, one of the things a lot of people talked about was John Hines was was UC Saros and how much playing time he got down the stretch. It was like obviously the first time we got to hear from Juice after his injury. Um, and he talked about, you know, well, first off, he gave an update on his injury. Uh, let's just hear that first. Yes. I have a slide back. Like posed really hard and then at the same time I was kind of trying to seal the short side and uh, I kind of fell on top of my leg awkwardly so I kind of felt a pop right away and then uh, they had like a there was like two more minutes and made a couple more saves but every time I went up and down it just felt really bad so that's when I kind of knew it wasn't it's gonna be a while yeah, I don't know exactly. Like, it's hard to say because that injury is kind of individual too. Like, it could take two more weeks or it could take four more weeks. We don't know at this point, but it started to heal pretty well. So, yeah, hopefully I can get back on ice pretty soon. But, yeah, we don't know exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think at that point, and. Um... You know, what, once it became clear that the Predators really weren't going to be able to uh, fight back, there, there really was no point in, in rushing UC Saros back. Although I will say, would have been very interesting, let's say, like, just for sake, like, for giggles. Yeah. Uh, Reds win game four, go to Colorado, pull off a win in game five. You're coming back to Bridgestone Arena. Uh, that gives UC Saros, what? four, five extra mm -hmm. days to heal from, from where he was at, that becomes a, more of a different conversation. I think one of the things that sort of made the goaltending decisions pretty clear pretty early on in this playoff series was Connor Ingram coming in and performing well. It sounds like the way sort of it was presented, it sounded like, you know, Saros is out for one and two games, one and two. We don't really know whether he's going to be back, you know, when he's going to be back. And they sort of left it hanging. But as you hear Saros talk about his injury in the recovery process, I just don't see that he could have come back. And I think once you saw Connor Ingram in net doing his thing and the Predators struggling you know, in other ways against this team, there's just no sense in putting Saros back in. I don't know that we would have seen him at all in a first round series after that injury. I don't know that we would have seen him in a second round series. And and that's when, that's when it really starts to become a, a series ending issue. I don't think Saros being in this series against um, the Colorado Avalanche, I'm not sure that that's going to change the outcome at all. Maybe Probably he stole not. a game, but it, I don't think it's going to change the outcome. And there's just no sense in, you know, putting him in there. Yeah. I, and I think it's one of those things where we probably knew after that first game how much UC Saros probably could have changed this series. 
Um, yeah, with you, not saying that they would have won, right. but I think you're having a different conversation, maybe a little bit different of an outlook before this series going in when you see Saros as a net because he is a pure eraser. And mm -hmm. Connor Ingram did great, especially in game two. Uh, yes. One of the best he's ever seen him play. But of course, he also, you know, had some bad goals, you know, as the series went on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, and no disrespect to Connor Ingram because he played great, yeah. but there's a big difference between the guy who just got nominated for the Vezina. Um, and a guy who really doesn't have any NHL experience other than like three games as a spot starter. Right, so, right. Yeah. And we're going to hear some more from UC Saros. He addressed the hot topic of his uh, amount of playing time in the season and how he felt that like that went. We're going to talk about that and hear from him in just a minute. But first, want to let you know this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Summer is coming. And with summer, you know, you're going to have all sorts of outdoor adventures, outside adventures. You're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on your family vacation vacations, your adventures, your hikes, you can throw them in your bag, take them with you, and you will be fueled for your summer. The best part about Built Bars is that they are healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious taste for health with Built Bar. You can have both and it's easy. All you have to do is go to built.com and you can order now. All built bars and puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means with built bar, you can eat healthy, but you feel like you're having a treat. And if you try the puffs, you get some interesting and very good flavors. According to reports here in my house, they have banana cream pie and cinnamon churro. Uh, so try the puffs. They're only 140 calories. If you want to try just a more traditional built bar, try the mixed box. Comes with 12 flavors, uh, built bars and built bar puffs variety pack. They're all fantastic. The favorite flavor here for me, Cherry Barcia. Again, the cinnamon churro, huge hit also in my house. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. If you compare that with the candy bar that we usually grab on the go with 240 calories, you're going to do much better if you try a Built Bar. Go to Built.com. You can get all your favorites, banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, mint brownie, so many more. They're delicious. They have new flavors coming out all the time. So go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. So the other half of the UC Saros argument was uh, his playing time. Of course, he played, got more starts than uh, any other goalie in the NHL. So uh, kind of interesting to hear UC's take on that. Let's hear that. I felt really good. Obviously, it was a new challenge for me, and, but I really enjoyed it. My body felt good and my mind felt fresh. So I, I didn't see it as, a, as an issue. I really liked playing that many games. And so, yeah, I didn't really have any issue with my body all year. And uh, yeah, so that... in. Sometimes injuries just happen. I don't. Sometimes it doesn't happen. If sometimes it doesn't matter if you play one game or seventy games. But so, I don't really have answer for that. But yeah, I just enjoyed it a lot. And yeah, obviously we talk with coaches. Like they ask like how I feel. And yeah, I, I 
if I felt tired, I would would have told them, but I I felt good and I enjoyed playing well. Yeah, and I think the the thing a lot of people forget is that he, this was UC Saros's first full 82 mm -hmm. game season as the starter. Remember the COVID years when he kind of took over for Pekka Rene. Last year, of course, he was kind of the 1A and uh but that was, you know, a 56 game season, whatever it was. Right. Started late and kind of ended in in a weird fashion. Um, this was the first year that he kind of went through a normal season where it was, you know, start in October, end in May, this, that you're, you're the guy for all 82 games and he handled it well. Maybe you saw him kind of wear down as the season went on. And I'm not really just talking about the, the injury because that could have happened at any time, um, but maybe a little less sharp at times over the past month or so. Um Certainly some really good games, you know, game stealing performances mixed in there. But yeah, I mean, he did well. He handled it well. He did. And I like how open he is about saying, look, I want to play this many games. I enjoyed playing this many games. And I think that's important. My question for you, Nick, is do you think they're going to plan on the same type of workload for Saros next season? Or do you think they're going to invest in some sort of backup? You know, are they well, going to change up how they deal with Saros? Well, I think it's it's going to be Connor Ingram at this point. Mm -hmm. I would be very surprised if it's not. Um, maybe they go out and invest in a, you know, two-year kind of $1.52 million backup kind of guy, um, you know, just in case because they went cheap with David Riddick. And we kind yeah. of saw what happened there. I think it's going to be Ingram. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think just on principle, like just on merit in the NHL, you know, you kind of want a, you know, a split where it's like, you know, maybe 50 games for the starter and 30 games for the backup, maybe a little bit more, maybe like, you know, 55, 25 mm -hmm. plus, you know, the two extra games thrown onto that. Um, you kind of want something like that because it gets your goalie fresh and, you know, now you have two really good options to roll with. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's the standard that should be for any NHL team. Now, obviously there's some exceptions, you know, Andre Vasilevsky in Tampa is going to play more than whoever his backup is because he's right. that much better. Um, you know, we've seen Pecorine and Thomas Vokun each play 73 games in a season in Nashville before. So, hey, we know there's more left in UC Saros' <laughs> tank, maybe. Um, but I think just on, you know, the way modern hockey is now, I think you do need two goalies that you can really hand the reins to in any situation. Um, so that's why I would expect maybe Ingram comes up and I would like to see, especially if Ingram kind of holds his own as the season goes on, maybe a little more responsibility for Ingram where, you know, if, if it's a situation like this and you have a couple of back-to-backs, both are must-win games, you yes. don't feel bad about sitting sorrows for one because you know your backup can also have the capability of stealing a game. That's what I think the Preds should be looking at. I would agree with that. I feel like they didn't have that option necessarily this season. And again, love David Riddick as a person. I feel like they did not have 
a backup that they felt comfortable giving some bigger games to giving some back-to-backs to necessarily with Riddick. Ingram may be that guy. And I think the time that he had in the playoffs definitely helps them get a better idea of what kind of workload he would be able to handle as a backup to Soros. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the Preds do with Soros next year, as far as things like his workload and, and sort of splitting the work because a lot of that decision this season wasn't necessarily based on Soros. I think it was more based on who they would sub in for him. So if they feel more confident in Ingram, I think we could see a more balanced approach next season. Uh, moving on from the Preds, cause we will have a lot more to talk about tomorrow, including, oh, yes. <laughs> including David Poyle's future. Don't forget. We didn't forget him. Don't worry. Uh, but, of course, lots of other stuff happening in the NHL. Draft lottery last night. And yes. Canadians get the number one pick. Second year in a row, the team with the best odds winds up with the number one pick, which is very, very rare. Uh, and yeah. then the Devils move up a handful of spots to get the number two pick. Yeah, I really like this for the Montreal Canadiens. You know that they own a, a small piece of my heart because of Rem Pitlick. And I'm all about bringing in Shane Wright to just – you know, work with Rem Pitlick because I believe he's all that in a bag of chips. I thought it was really interesting. I think I read a stat that said the Canadians haven't had the first pick in the draft for like, is it 42 years? It's been a while. Yeah. yeah I thought, and then, and then I re read it in a different way and it said since like 1990 and I'm like, 1990 hasn't been 42 years. Good grief. That was like 15, 16 years ago. And then I did the math. So it was a little bit shocking, but I really like this for Montreal. This is a team ripe for a rebuild, and I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. Uh, and New Jersey Devils, you know, yeah, let's see it's what gonna, they can do. Obviously, Shane Wright is is the surefire number one. It's going to be very interesting to see uh, what the Devils do with two, because there's a lot of different ways you can go there. Uh, of course, you know, you have Juraj Slavkovsky, who – uh, looked like a 20-year veteran when he played in the Beijing Olympics earlier oh, this year. Oh, he was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, he, an absolutely dominant performance from him, and now he has a chance to go against you know NHL players. Uh, you also have Logan Cooley, who who is a big, not a big body, but a big you know speed skater, uh, really good skating, really good kind of hockey awareness. So there's going to be you know a lot of ways the Devils can go, and really mm -hmm. you know I would say the top ten in this draft. Um, and I'm sure our buddy Eric Denae and on the forecheck can maybe back us up, but, you know, from, from everything I've seen, everything I've heard this, you know, the top 10 of the draft this year should be very, very good. Um, yes. so really anybody in that lottery has a good shot at developing a pretty good franchise player. Yeah. And I think it's going to be great to see some of these guys, you know, there have been some past draft lotteries that maybe weren't as robust as this one is, you know, rumored to be. So I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how these top picks sort out three, four, five years down the road. But yeah, you can bet that Shane Wright is going to be a Canadian. I, I would be willing to bet a kidney on that. Yeah. Uh, playoff stuff in the NHL mm. last night. The Maple Leafs have a 3-2 series lead, which means congratulations, Tampa Bay Lightning, on your second round appearance. <laughs> That's uh, just painful. That was a great game. 
Uh, I that watched was that a great game. game. And, uh, uh, a, couple, the... a couple of good games last night because Kings and Oilers was entertaining too after pretty yes. much every every game in the series until that point had been a blowout. Yeah. I mean, LA Kings, nobody, I mean, let's be real. Nobody really saw this. I didn't, I don't think people saw them coming and being as competitive as they have been. Although the, did you see the head butting, the little head butting incident that occurred in that game? Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling Darnell nurse might be out of this, <laughs> this next one. <laughs> Yeah, that I think there's going to be a talking to after that. But I thought that was a great game. Um, I watched, caught some of the wild St. Louis game, which is a series I really want to keep my eye on. And I'm sure Colorado is too. Not sure either of these teams can take on Colorado, but it's sure fun watching them duke it out. Yeah. Uh, Penguins and Rangers tonight. Rangers, I feel bad, but Rangers look done. Oh, like they just don't look on, like guys. they have any answer outside of Igor Shesterkin trying to will his way into a in a game. Bless. I mean, pray for that young man in net. He's 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 trying. He's got a lot going on in there. Yeah. So lots of interesting stuff to watch for uh, the other two games tonight. Washington, Florida. Uh, that game series is tied mm-hmm. two to two, and then Stars and Flames, which has had really been maybe the best series overall so far in terms of just pure competitiveness uh yes. that series is tied two to two calgary tonight so that is going to be uh an interesting one to watch we'll have more uh, playoff talk for you tomorrow uh along with our david Poyle discussion so a couple of juicy shows coming up later this week you will not want to miss until then and where can the people find your work online you can find my work at onthefourcheck.com and you can find me on Twitter at NK underscore Mama on Ice. I'm Nick Morgan. You can find me at onthefourcheck.com as well. Follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Predators. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe, and leave a comment. Let us know what you thought of anything the Predators said at Locker Cleanout yesterday. Do you think Forsberg's going to be back? Uh, is John Hines going to be back? Let us know your thoughts on pretty much anything we talked about today. That's going to do it for us today on the Locked On Predators podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We'll be back tomorrow with a fresh new episode.